So here I begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Come with me then to verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Turn with me then to Matthew chapter 18. And we'll be reading from verse 23. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35, So also, Jesus says, My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This too is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in a word of prayer. Father, we ask you today to speak to us from your word. Take it and make it real to our hearts. Draw us near to you, to your son, Jesus Christ, in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And there's a little tool that I've adapted called the prayer hand that will help us to structure our prayers according to the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is not original to me. I took it from a book called The Walk and I adapted it. But I think it's a useful tool to be able to structure our prayers around the six phrases that are in the Lord's Prayer. Now, we begin with our palm, just as a sign uh, and a symbol and, and, and a way of remembering that we approach God as Father. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Then we move to our little finger, where we pray, Hallowed be thy name. And from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we are reminded that God calls us to adore him, to highly esteem him, and to pray that others would highly esteem him too. Then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a prayer where we pray that God would advance his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we saw that God says to pray, give 
us this day our daily bread. He's inviting us as a good father to come before him and ask him for everything that we need for life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Today, we come to what might be the hardest part of the prayer to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We admit our sins to God and we ask him to forgive us. And we also ask him to help us to forgive others. Uh, Give us a moment. Thanks a lot, Philip. Philip is behind the scenes, doing a very good job. Uh, We admit our sins to God, we ask him to forgive us, and we ask him to help us to forgive others. The week after next, I'll be taking a break next week. I, you know, I, I'll be on leave. Uh, someone else will be preaching for us. But the week after that, we'll conclude the Lord's Prayer service. We'll conclude, we'll conclude the series with lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, where that's our prayer aspiring to live according to God's way. So we approach, we adore, we advance, we ask, we admit, and we aspire to live the way that God calls us to live. Well, today we're going to focus on the forgiveness of sin, admitting to God that we are sinners, asking him to forgive us, and asking that he would help us forgive others who have sinned against us. Now, did you notice that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, the word that Jesus uses to describe sin is the word debt and debtors. Did you notice that? Now, why is he using the word debt? Well, Jesus here is bringing out a particular aspect of what it means to sin against God. As Julian mentioned at the very beginning of the service, God is our creator. God is our sustainer. God is our redeemer. And therefore... We rightly owe him everything in our lives. We owe him every breath. We owe him acknowledgement, obedience, perfect obedience. We owe him the esteem of our very hearts. But the truth is, none of us acknowledges God as we should, and none of us obeys God as we should. And therefore, we are indebted to God. That is an aspect of sin. We owe God something that we have not been able to pay. Perfect obedience and perfect acknowledgement and perfect esteem of who he is. Now, living in this broken world, you have debtors too. There are others who are in debt to you. Why? Well, because, friends, as a human being made in the image and the likeness of God, you have a right to love. You have a right to dignity. You have a right to respect. But friends, not everybody gives you love or gives you dignity or gives you respect. And therefore, they owe you. They are in debt to you. A debt of love, a debt of dignity, and a debt of respect. So when we are praying, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, God is inviting us to clear our debts with Almighty God and to clear our debts with one another. It's an invitation, friends, to make peace 
with God and to make peace with one another. It's about receiving the forgiveness of God and giving our own forgiveness to others. And truth be told, friends, this isn't easy. This is probably one of the hardest prayers to pray in the entire series on the Lord's Prayer. Why is that? Well, the first reason is some of us don't feel that there's anything that we need to be forgiven of. We have lived pretty decent lives. We're honorable people. How can God say that I need to ask him for forgiveness? Now, there are other people who feel that they cannot forgive a particular person. This person has hurt them too deeply and they're trapped in that bitterness and anger and they cannot fathom forgiving that person. Well, friends, the fact that Jesus gives us this prayer shows us that even the very best of us have something that we need to settle with Almighty God. There's something that we need to seek his forgiveness for. And friends, the fact that this prayer is here shows us that those of us who are trapped in a place of unforgiveness, unable to let go of bitterness, that there is a way out of that bitterness into freedom. In other words, Father, friends, as we travel through this particular phrase, we are invited on a journey not just into self-awareness to see how we really stand before God and others, but it's a journey of freedom. But friends, in this journey, there are three things that we need to understand about forgiveness that helps us travel along this journey into freedom. And the three things are reciprocity, repentance, and release. Reciprocity, repentance, and release. Let's begin with reciprocity. Look at verse 12. This is how Jesus says that we should pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that there's a connection between our being forgiven by God and our ability to forgive others. There's a sense of reciprocity in our receiving God's forgiveness and in our giving of forgiveness. Now, if that isn't clear, Jesus makes it absolutely clear in verses 14 and 15. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. New Testament scholar R.T. France calls this the reciprocal forgiveness principle. The reciprocal forgiveness principle. That there is a sense of reciprocity between your forgiveness and your forgiveness of others. The two are so intertwined that they cannot be separated. The forgiven forgive. The unforgiven do not forgive. Reciprocity. Turn with me, friends, to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. We read that just a moment ago. And here, Jesus illustrates this to us in a story, in a parable that he tells. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. In this parable, there is a good king. And then 
there are two servants. The first servant, it tells us here in verse 24, owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is equivalent to about 60 million denarii or 200,000 years of wages. 200,000 years of wages. Now, this is an enormous sum. This is a debt that no one can pay. There is, it's impossible for this servant to be able to repay the king what he owes him. So what does the servant do? He begs for mercy. He says, have patience on me. And lo and behold, in verse 27, we read that out of pity, the master released him and forgave his debt. Friends, out of sheer grace, the king shows mercy. He says to the servant who cannot repay this impossibly great debt, you are forgiven, you are debt free, you are free. But the story doesn't end there. In his freedom, this first servant goes out and he bumps into another servant. Look at verse 28. Now this second servant owes the first servant a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is not a small sum. It's equivalent to three or four months' worth of wages. It's not a small amount at all. It's a serious amount. But friends, a hundred denarii, three or four months of wages, compared to what the first servant owed the king, 60 million denarii, 200,000 years of wages, is small in comparison. Now, the first servant has been forgiven of this great debt and you would expect that he would show mercy to this second servant. 200,000 years of wages versus three or four months worth of wages. 60 million denarii versus 100 denarii. You would expect him logically to show mercy. But he doesn't. He's mean. He has this second servant thrown into prison even though he begs him for mercy, verse 30, using very similar words as the ones that the first servant used to beg the king for mercy. Now, what do you call a man like this? Well, the king calls him wicked. Look at verse 32 and 33. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. Should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so the king, in his anger, throws the first servant in jail just as the first servant had thrown the second servant in jail. And in verse 35, Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Reciprocity. If you are forgiven, you will forgive. If you do not forgive, you are unforgiven. This is what Jesus says. You see, friends, all of us are like that first servant. We owe God, the king of the universe, 
a debt that no one can pay. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. We are like that first servant owing God 60 million denarii. But like that benevolent king, our king comes to us. And the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, he gives us his son. And in him, the son of God, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Just like that. In a moment, in an instant, through Jesus Christ, we who are undeserving sinners, who owe God such a great debt, are forgiven. We're debt free. We're free. How then... Can we look at someone else who owes us a debt, who sinned against us and refused to forgive them? Now, friends, I want to say this carefully and tenderly because I know some of you have been deeply hurt by other people. It's cut you to the very core. It's hurt you in ways that are unimaginable. And what I'm about to say does not minimize what other people owe you. The pain is real. The debt is real. But friends, according to God's word, and I say this carefully, God is saying that no matter what that person has done to you, as great as it is, as hurtful as it was, it is tiny. It is small compared to what we have done to God. And so, friends, this principle of reciprocity is like a test, a diagnostic tool, a PCR swab test that determines whether or not we've truly grasped the debts of our own sin before God and the heights of His forgiveness for us. Now, a few years ago, I was talking to someone. This is many years ago, even before we started One Covenant Church. So uh, please don't guess who this person is. Um, many years ago, I was talking to someone who was a great success in terms of his career, but who had made some very terrible choices in his personal life. I met up with him over the course of uh, several weeks and months and we were working through some issues. And I still remember this conversation so clearly and I'm sure if you're a pastor, you would have heard this from other people too. He came and he sounded very contrite and he said to me, Pastor, I know that God forgives me. I know God forgives me. The problem is I can't forgive myself. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. It sounds pious on the surface, doesn't it? But I heard that and I said to him, our friend, actually, that's not piety. That's pride. And I think after that, we, we never met again. And he continued to be trapped in this, in this blue funk 
that he couldn't get out of. You see, it sounds pious on the surface. But what exactly is being said here? When we say, and I probably said it before, I know that God forgives me, but I cannot forgive myself. What are we actually saying? We are actually saying that our standards of holiness and our ability to, our standards of holiness are somehow lesser than God's standards of holiness, that it was easy for God to forgive us. We're actually saying our debt to ourselves is greater than any debt we could owe to Almighty God. It's His job to forgive us. It's easy for God to forgive us. It's difficult for me to forgive myself. And so although it sounds pious on the surface, we're not actually seeing as we should see. We're not actually seeing the depths of our sin, the heights of His holiness, We're not actually grasping the greatness of His grace. Friends, the only way out of the blue funk of unforgiveness is to recognize that your debt against God is the greatest debt anyone could owe. Even a debt that you owe to yourself. Why? Because in Jesus, as great and as difficult and as costly as that debt was, God forgave you. God said you are free. God said that you are forgiven. God said, my son, whose death on the cross paid for your sins, I will count that as payment. And he forgives you. Not because it's easy, but because he is gracious. And when we see that, friends, the depths of our sin, the heights of His holiness, the greatness of His grace, when we truly grasp that in our hearts, all we can say, friends, is I know that God forgives me. We cannot even imagine going on to the next sentence because that is subsumed in the sea of his redeeming love. Thomas Watson said it this way, the spark of our sin is extinguished in the sea of his redeeming love. The spark of our sin is extinguished in the sea of his redeeming love. Can you see, friends, why it's important for us to recognize that the debt we owe to God is the greatest and highest debt possible. And why he has given us this principle of reciprocity is a diagnostic tool. It's an ability for us to gaze at our hearts as they truly are. The forgiven will forgive. The unforgiven do not forgive. And when we take this principle seriously, we begin to realize I do have stuff that I need to seek forgiveness for. I am not living the life that I should before Almighty God. It leads us to repentance. A repentance that will set us free. Friends, to truly pray forgive us our debts is to turn from our sins 
and to turn to God. And the biblical term for this turning is the word repentance. But how do we repent? Well, 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson says that there are three main ingredients to repentance. Contrition, confession, and conversion. Contrition, confession, and conversion. Contrition is when you have a sense of the sinfulness of sin on your heart. It's what happens when you take this reciprocity principle seriously. When you notice that you do not forgive others easily, you see your own heart and you feel a sense of the sinfulness of your sin on your heart. You don't just know that you've sinned in your mind. The larger catechism says that you have a sight and sense of the danger filthiness and odiousness of sins you feel it on your heart it's what the apostle paul calls a godly grief in second corinthians 7 verse 10 that's the first ingredient for true repentance contrition a sense of the sinfulness of sin on your heart and godly grief true contrition leads to confession Confession, friends, is when you admit to God and to others where you have sinned. In Psalm 32 verse 5, David says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. James chapter 5 verse 16 says to confess your sins to one another and to pray for one another that you may be healed. Friends, we know how much God loves us because of Jesus Christ. We can come to him as father, adopted into his family because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as children of the living God, we have no fear of admitting our sins before him. When you pray this prayer, come before him and say, Lord, I know that you have loved me with an eternal love, but I have sinned against you. Name that sin. Confess that sin. Be as specific as you can be. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that we are to confess our sins, repent of our sins, particular sins, particularly. We're supposed to repent of our sins, particular sins, particularly. Come before him. Be specific. Say to the God who loves you through his son, Jesus Christ, I have sinned. Confess your sins before almighty God. And friends, then there are times that you need to confess your sins to the people that you have sinned against. And that is what we call an apology. You may need to approach someone that you've sinned against and say to that person, I'm sorry. And you're specific in the ways that you have sinned against this person. It may be verbal. It may be an email that you need to write. It may be a letter that you need to write. But contrition leads to confession to God and to those that you have sinned against. Again, because of the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, we have no fear 
of confessing to others because our reputation is now secondary. Our one longing and desire is to be right with God, to be right with Jesus, to sense his joy and love on our hearts. Now, quick aside here. You and I are responsible to confess to God and to the people that we've sinned against, even to apologize. But you are not responsible for the reaction of the one that you apologize to. In the best case scenario, they receive your apology and there's reconciliation. But in this broken world, we need to know that there are times that that doesn't happen. That apologizing can actually increase your pain. But that is not up to you. You're responsible to confess to God and to others, but you're not responsible for the response of the one you've apologized to. Contrition, confession, and finally, conversion. And by conversion, Thomas Watson means that you turn from sin to live in what the larger catechism calls new obedience to God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11 that godly grief, that contrition of heart, has produced eagerness, indignation, fear, fear of God, longing, longing for righteousness, zeal, and although the ESV puts it as punishment, it there has a sense more of justice. Godly grief leads to new obedience, a new life. Friends, true repentance doesn't just end with vulnerability and tears. As important as vulnerability and tears are, true repentance does not end with vulnerability and tears. True repentance leads to real change of life. That change might be gradual. That change might be small. That change might not even be able to be seen by yourself. It takes others to say, hey, you've changed. But there must be change. True repentance begins with vulnerability, takes you through the journey of tears, but it leads to true conversion and true change. When you pray to God, Forgive us our sins. You come with a sense of contrition, the sense of your sinfulness on your heart. You confess because you know God loves you. And you change because this is the life that brings God honor and brings you joy. The principle of reciprocity brings us to the place of repentance. But finally, it brings us to a place of release. It brings us to a place of release. It brings us to the second part of this prayer. Not just forgive me of my sins and my debts, but God help me to forgive those who have sinned against me. Forgive my debtors. Forgive those that owe me. Friend, how have you dealt with being hurt? with being humiliated by others? How have you dealt with being hurt and by being humiliated by those who are closest to you? 
How have you dealt with those that have held love, respect, and dignity from you? It hurts, doesn't it? It's painful, doesn't it? Isn't it? But maybe you try to deny it. Or you try to suppress the pain. Or you try to numb the pain. Or you try to ignore the pain. But even after doing all that, you know it's still there. Or maybe some of you, you build up your defenses. You want to make sure that no one else will ever hurt you and ever humiliate you in the way that you've been hurt and humiliated. So you build up your defenses. But in so doing, you end up pushing away and hurting those who love you the most. You think you're fine, but you're not, my friends. And the reality is you will eventually act out, especially when things get hard, especially when things get stressful, especially when things get difficult. If you suppress your pain, and suppress your hurt, and you do not resolve it, it will eventually come out in one form or another in very unhelpful and painful ways, both for yourself and for others. And if you really look at your heart, you know, friends, that the only path to freedom is through the way of forgiveness. But it's hard. It's hard because you feel that if you forgive, that somehow excuses the other person of all that's been done to you. So you find it hard and you're trapped. Let me very quickly give you three things that forgiveness doesn't mean and three things that forgiveness does mean. Number one, forgiveness does not mean you tolerate abuse. Forgiveness does not mean you tolerate abuse. You forgive the person from your heart, you no longer hold a grudge against them, but that does not mean you do not remove yourself from an abusive situation. To allow that person to continue to abuse you it's not loving to yourself, neither is it loving to the person who's abusing you. So you can let go of that grudge that's in your heart, but it does not mean that you continue to tolerate abuse. In fact, it's imperative that you remove yourself from an abusive situation. That's the first point. Secondly, forgiveness does not mean that justice doesn't matter. Forgiveness does not mean that justice doesn't matter. You can forgive the person from your heart and let go of that grudge and still pursue the course of justice. Someone pointed out that when Mandela stepped out of prison after decades of being imprisoned, he chose the path of forgiveness, but he never stopped speaking out against injustice. You can forgive and through that forgiveness continue to pursue the path 
of justice, and perhaps that justice will be more just than one who is bearing a grudge. But thirdly, friends, forgiveness does not mean that the person you have forgiven does not need to face the consequences of their actions. You are forgiving them of their debt against you and you're handing them over to a God who is just and merciful. They will have to settle their debt with God like you have settled your debt with God. They will need to face the consequences of their actions before their God and in some cases before the law. Forgiving that person, letting that person go in your heart does not mean you tolerate abuse. does not mean that you stop pursuing the course of justice. And it does not mean that the person you're forgiving does not need to face the consequences of their actions. Your debt against them is cleared, but they have to stand before Almighty God. In some cases, the civil law for what they have done. But what does forgiveness really mean then? Forgiveness does mean that you're setting your own heart free. Friends, rage, bitterness, and, and resentment, you think it empowers you, but it actually enslaves you. You're making choices in your life, avoiding certain things and doing certain things because you're controlled by that rage and that, by that bitterness and by that resentment. You're not free although you feel powerful and it's killing you slowly. And God wants to set your heart free. The late theologian Lewis Smeets from Fuller Theological Seminary once said this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was due. Forgiveness does mean setting your own heart free. Forgiveness, secondly, also means setting those you love the most free. Someone once said, if you don't heal what hurts you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. If you don't heal what hurts you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. And unfortunately, friends, the people you tend to bleed on are the people who love you the most. Family therapy, uh, therapist Terence Reed put it this way. The wounded boy grows up to become a wounding man, inflicting upon those closest to him the very distress he refuses to acknowledge within himself. Friends, if you don't deal with the unforgiveness and the hurt that's within you, you will act out. And you will hurt those who love you the most. Forgiveness means setting your own heart free, but it also means setting those you love most free. And finally, friends, forgiveness does mean becoming more and more like Jesus. 
Friends, God's will for your life is to be conformed to image of Jesus Christ. The more you forgive, the more you become like the one who gave, forgave you freely, undeservedly, and at such great cost to himself. My friends, this is a painful journey. It's a painful journey because, as Tim Keller points out, whenever you forgive someone, you're absorbing that cost. You're absorbing that pain into yourself. You're saying, I'll bear it, and I'll not count it against this other person. Someone has to pay that cost. And whenever you forgive, you are absorbing that pain and absorbing that cost into yourself. It hurts, friends. But it's the only way that will set you free. And the only way you can get there is to see the one who has done it for you. On the cross of Calvary, friends, Jesus says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, your forgiveness before God is free to you, but it costs God everything. God took your pain, God took your debt, and He absorbed it into Himself in the death of His only Son. And it was all for you because He loved you and because He wants you free. And when you see that, friends, and you take it deep into your hearts, when you take your heart and you plunge it deep into the sea of his redeeming love, you sense his love and you sense his freedom, you cannot but help pray. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray. Father, we stand both humbled and amazed in the presence of God who is holy and merciful, in the presence of a God who is awe-inspiring and loving. And we come to you, Father, with the brokenness that we feel in our own hearts and we say to you, we're undone. Help us, Lord, in this journey of forgiveness and seeing our hearts where they truly are, coming before you in true repentance and releasing forgiveness to others as well. We pray, help us, Lord, on this journey. Bring others alongside when it's too difficult and point us in the path of freedom and in the path of love. We want to continue praying, Father, for the COVID-19 situation in Singapore and around the world. We praise God that the numbers have gone down somewhat. But we continue to ask you, Father, to give wisdom to those who are in authority, the ability to those in healthcare, and just 
the cooperation of the population so that we may further bring the numbers down. We pray for those in our neighboring countries as well, Father, who are facing the scourge of COVID. And we pray, please, Lord, have mercy. Please, Lord, bring the vaccines and the treatment that's necessary. Please, God, we pray that you would hold back the hand of evil in this time. We pray, Father, for the families in our church. We think of the parents of some of our members who are suffering from different ailments and health cares, scares and health issues. And we pray today, Father, that you would go where we cannot go to comfort and to heal. We pray, Father, that your spirit will go where we cannot go and bring the gospel to those who are dearest and nearest to us, Lord. And finally, Father, we pray for our children. We know that it's been difficult as we've not been able to have Sunday school uh, kids ministry for so many weeks. But we thank you, Father, for the little, little glimpses of your grace as we see our children in communicants class coming alive to the truth and reality of the gospel. We thank you for the times of family worship. And we pray, Father, that you take care of our children. We pray, Father, that during these school holidays, that it would be productive, but also restful, that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of your grace and of your mercy. In all things, Father, we pray that you would be glorified and be honored in our lives, in the life of the church, and in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.